My name is Jason, and I'm the pastor here, and uh, I just love that story. Thank you, Sarah, if you're watching. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. I think it's just so amazing for a lot of reasons that I don't have time to get into, but I think it's so amazing the way that God has helped us as a church kind of pivot and uh, figure out how to manage and navigate everything that's happening with the world and COVID and all of that stuff. And uh, I've said this a couple of weeks, but currently, who knows if it'll always be this way, but currently we have more people watching online than we do showing up in person. And I think it's amazing that someone could be a part of Hope City Church, part of a group, serving on a team, Hope team uh, from Lexington. I think that's amazing. So everybody who's watching online, hello to you. And then obviously everybody in the room, um, thank you for being here. For the last two weeks, we have been studying the, the book of Galatians. It's kind of what we're doing for the next two months. We're studying a book in the New Testament, a letter in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul uh, called Galatians. And uh, we told you last week, but I want to tell you again that we would love for you to read through the book of Galatians with us. And we've put together an 18-day reading plan that's on the Bible app. If you have a, a phone, smartphone, or uh, anything that has the Bible app on it. You can look up Galatians, uh, or you can, the easiest way, honestly, is just to text the word Galatians to 502-754-3212. This is kind of the church cell phone number, if you will. And so if you'll text that number, you're not signing up for anything. It's just going to send you back a link uh, to help you get there faster, or you can search Galatians 18 day or lots of different ways. But we'd love for you to read through that together. Our, myself and our staff, pastors, we, we wrote uh, the devotions for it and just excited to get it out there to you. So we'd love for you to read along with us and you can do it um, that way. So the reason we've decided to take eight weeks, uh, two months to talk about the book of Galatians is because it's such an important book. They're all important. You know, if it makes the Bible, it's important, but they're, they're all important, but specifically Galatians is important because it, it addresses the first real controversy of the church and, and, and a problem that Christians continue to face, have faced since Paul wrote this letter and then every generations of Christians since. It was written about 15 or 20 years after Jesus was resurrected. Um, and it addresses that controversy that we talked about. And remember now that the church was very young. This is just 15 or 20 years after Jesus, like we've said. And so these are all first generation Christians. And Paul is writing them because they are turning away from the truth of Christianity. If I were to say to you today, do you want to turn away from the truth of Christianity? Most of us were here on a Sunday morning. You'd say, no, I don't want to turn away from Christianity. No, no Christian wants to turn away from Christianity. But that's what's happening to these Christians in Galatians. But what makes it so tricky is that they don't think that they're turning away. In fact, they think that they are becoming better Christians. And so Paul writes to say, you're not. You're turning away from Christianity. And really, he doesn't say it this way, but the big idea we've kind of been sharing over the last few weeks is there's no such thing as better Christians. There's no such thing as a better Christian. And it sounds wrong and it sounds sacrilegious. Maybe you're thinking, doesn't God want us to be better Christians? Does he want us to behave? Doesn't he want us to get our life together? Maybe you've had somebody tell you that. Maybe your relatives told you that or a pastor's told you that, that you need to get it together, that you're you know, disappointing God and you've got to be better and get it together and stop messing up so much. That's not the message of Christianity. Paul's writing this to them and, and they, they, they think they're becoming better, but so often when we think we're becoming quote unquote better Christians, it's because we're putting our trust and our faith in something else other than Jesus. So their message, 
the, these, these false teachers, these Galatians who are turning away, they believed that the message of Christianity was believe in Jesus, change, and God will love you. This is what they were saying. Believe in Jesus and change and God will love you. And you can see how subtle this is. Even as I say that, some of you are like, what's wrong with that? It sounds great. It sounds like what I've always thought. This doesn't make you think you're abandoning Christianity. This makes you believe that you're being a great Christian. You're being good for God. You're coming to church now. You believe in Jesus and you're in a growth group and you're tithing and you're nicer to people and you, you know, drink, smoke, cuss and gamble less. And so isn't God proud of you? You're, you're doing better for God, but that's not the gospel and it's not the message of Christianity. The gospel is believe in Jesus and God's love will change you. See the difference? The false gospel is believe in Jesus, change, and God will love you. The true gospel is believe in Jesus and God's love will change you. And it seems like a small difference. You're like, oh, you're just moving a comma. You know, you're just moving a word. But it's not a subtle difference. It's a completely different message. Paul says it's not even the gospel at all. It's not a variation. It is completely wrong. So the pressure that these Galatians were feeling was to, they, that, that they were supposed to be more Jewish, which is not our struggle at all, but we do feel this pressure to be better Christians. That pressure is very real. That every day we believe that our job is to not disappoint God and we need to perform for him, but we don't need to. Hear me. You don't need to perform for God. You don't need to be good for God. The only thing that matters is that we believe the gospel. And the reason we're taking two months to talk about it and the reason Paul kept writing about it was because believing the gospel is what changes you. The power of the gospel is what transforms your life, not your human effort, not your discipline, not your willpower. Believing the gospel. And that's actually... How Paul ends his letter, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I can't help myself. And we're going to talk about it in like five weeks more. But I, I want to just read this to you. The very end of the letter, because Paul's passionate. He's kind of writing like I'm talking right now. He's excited. He's passionate. He's jacked up about this. And he writes at the very end, after he said everything he needs to say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, at the very end of the letter, he says, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. Take out the word circumcised and fill in whatever doesn't matter. What counts is whether we have been transformed. Everybody say transformed. Whether we have been transformed. That's what counts is whether you're being transformed. And this is so counterintuitive because we think we need to, you know, do better. I'm trying. I'm trying, Jason. I'm trying to get it together. I'm trying to not sin as much. I'm trying not to make as many bad decisions. I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying to follow Jesus. But Paul's like, you are, you're, you're, you're trying too hard. It's not about trying. The question is not, are you trying to do better? The question is, are you being transformed? And you can't transform yourself. You can try to change yourself, but you can't transform yourself because change depends on you, but transformation depends on the power of God working in your life. And the Bible teaches, Galatians teaches, and all over the place in the New Testament teaches that the way that you are transformed is not by looking in the mirror every morning and saying, get it together, get it together. The way that you are transformed is by believing the gospel, not forgetting the gospel, not abandoning the gospel. You say, well, what's the gospel? The gospel is the news that you are more sinful than you ever knew. 
but you are more loved by God than you ever knew too. And that if you can wake up every day and remember that your sin is worse than you think, but God's love is greater than you know, that gospel news transforms you. C.S. Lewis said, it's like a horse with wings. It's not a horse that just learns to jump better. It's a horse that learns how to fly. That's what happens when we believe the gospel. Pastor Katie told us last week, it's like a, it's like a, a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. He doesn't look in the mirror and say, be a butterfly, be a butterfly. No, he just is transformed. It's a metamorphosis. It's a spiritual change that happens when we believe the gospel. Does that make sense to everybody? Well, that was just the recap. <laughs> Ain't even got to the message yet. Uh, but I promise I'll be fast. Today we have made it to chapter two. And in chapter two, Paul tells us about a trip that he takes and a church meeting that he has, which sounds like the most boring sermon ever. It's not though. I hope it's not. It's gonna come across as like a journal entry or a biography about this schedule that he's on. But what we're gonna read today in these 10 verses is way more important than that. In truth, we really should read what we're going to read today with a fear of sense and tr- uh, a sense of fear and trembling, because in this meeting that Paul has, they are defining what Christianity is and what Christianity isn't. Think of it as our forefathers getting together and writing the Constitution in a, in a way that in this meeting there was a real possibility that two different kinds of Christianity could have been created. One not really Christianity and one real Christianity, but two different kinds. And on this day, 2,000 plus years ago, God protected you and he protected me. Even though we weren't there, he was protecting you and me because unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. And they were just trying to decide what is Christianity for people who are not Jewish. This was a serious, serious matter. And, 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 and theologians and historians believe that these 10 verses are, are quite possibly the most underrated verses in the New Testament because it is the church leaders coming together and saying, this is what Christianity is and this is what Christianity is not. And so it's important. It's important and it's good news, especially for every man in the room, but we'll get to that in a second. But these verses are also important because they're going to remind us of something that we forget. And that is that we know God personally, but we follow him together. We know God personally, but we follow him together. As we read these 10 verses, we're going to see the tension that all of us should feel about having a personal relationship with God, but corporately following God together. And I'll show you what I mean. So let's read this together. Galatians chapter two, verses one through 10 says this. It says, then Paul's still writing here. He says, then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. And I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. And while I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message that I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement. Now, remember that message he's talking about is, is believe in Jesus and God's love will change you. Not believe in Jesus change and God will love you. And so he goes back to make sure that they're in agreement, that this is the truth. This is the gospel. This is what Christians believe. 
Verse 3, it says, And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because some so-called believers there, false ones, who were secretly brought in, they sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom that we have in Christ, which is what always happens, by the way, when you stop believing the gospel and you think you're believing something that makes you more free. It actually doesn't make you free. That's a separate sermon we'll get to later. And he says, we refuse to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to persevere the truth or preserve, excuse me, the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me for God has no favorites. Just a little thing Paul wanted to throw in because he's actually talking to Peter, James, and John. It's like the Mount Rushmore of Christian leaders. And he's like, it's not because they're popular. It's not because they're famous. It's not because, you know, it, It's just the structure. I'm going to the leaders of the church, not the reputation, but the leaders. Instead, verse seven, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers, and they encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued to work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. You see what I mean? It's kind of like a journal entry. It's like a it's very, it's very in the weeds. It's very like church meeting uh, is what's happening. But it's so important because on this day, in this room, in this meeting, the leaders of the church with God's help were able to say that Christianity is not about cultural preference. See, if, if on this day they had decided wrong, then that means to be a Christian in Africa would be different than being a Christian in Asia, would be different than being a Christian in Russia, would be different than being a Christian in the South, would be different uh, than being a Christian in Canada. Would be Because we would say it's believe in Jesus plus be like the cultural traditions and preferences of where you live. This is what they were debating. But on this day, through the help of the Holy Spirit, with God's guidance and wisdom, they said to be a Christian, One thing matters, believing the gospel. doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile or black or white or rich or poor. It doesn't doesn't matter what your political party is. It doesn't matter. What matters is, are you being transformed by believing the gospel? This is why why it's so underrated. I've done a lot of weddings. I've done a lot of funerals. I've visited people in their house and seen their pretty wall decals. I've never seen this one hung up. Nobody at a wedding's ever read the verse, you know, and they decided my companion Titus should not be circumcised. Nobody ever went there with that one. But man, it's a big one. This is so important because they could have on this day said to be a Christian you have to be a certain type of person, a certain way, eating certain types of foods and, and, and have certain medical procedures. And they said, no, no. What matters is believing in the gospel. And so Paul shows us in this journal entry, in this biography, he shows us how important it is to have spiritual leaders and spiritual accountability for a Christian. 
In these 10 verses, we see how God gives us a church and he gives us a church family and he gives us church leaders to help us follow Jesus. That's what's happening here is Paul says, I'm going to leave what I'm doing and I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to submit myself. I'm going to to give myself at the discretion of the church leaders to to decide and for us working together to decide whether or not what I'm believing is true and what I'm teaching is true. And listen, the Apostle Paul, he didn't have to go do that. He was the Apostle Paul. Like, he wrote more books of the Bible than them. He, he, he was more famous than them, so to speak. But it didn't matter. He, he wanted to make sure that he was believing and teaching the truth. And so he, to do that, to do that, he went to church leaders. Because we know God personally, but we follow him together. Think of it like a lifeguard. Think of it like a lifeguard. I read this week that according to the World Health Organization, 1.7 million water accidents happen per year and that drowning some years is the leading cause of unintentional or accidental death in the world with 372,000 drowning deaths reported every year. That's worldwide. And I know some of you have dealt with a drowning death and so it's incredibly tragic. I'm not making light of that. But what I found so interesting was that 370,000, over 370,000 deaths a year around the world, but, but no one was planning on drowning. No one had the intent to drown. That's why they call them unintentional or accidental deaths. And specifically in the ocean, the unintentional deaths almost always occur because of undercurrent. That, and you know this, you, you've been to the beach or been in the water where you start out and you, you drift because of the current away from the house that you, or the, the sand where you started, or, or you get too far out. And some of us, and I've experienced this, maybe you've experienced this, there's that moment of panic that happens when you realize that it's stronger than you thought it was and it's pulling you farther out. You, you've probably felt that before, maybe, hopefully not, but yeah. And what happens is people underestimate how strong the undercurrent is and they get pulled out to sea. And, and Paul is saying in these verses, he doesn't say it this way, but we could, we could fairly say that the same thing happens. And the Bible's filled with all of this language about becoming a Christian. We already talk about this all the time. That becoming a Christian is becoming a part of something. It's putting your faith in Jesus, but becoming a part of something. You've joined the resistance. You've joined the rebels. But the Bible tells us over and over and over again that as long as we live in this world, this world is not heaven. This world, uh, on this world, the enemy, the devil has the opportunity to drag us away and entice us. And so we live in a world where the undercurrent is trying to pull us away from a faith in Jesus. And he doesn't do it by neon signs that say, don't put your faith in Jesus. He does it by subtle ways of saying, yeah, believe in Jesus, but put your faith in yourself. So we we begin to, to fall away. But here's what's interesting is that when there is a lifeguard present or a lifeguard on duty in these cases of, uh, of drowning and, and accidental death, the percentage of deaths dropped drastically. And, and the, the CDC actually says that just the presence of a lifeguard drastically lowers the number of accidental drowning deaths. And when I read that, I've just been thinking about that this week leading up to this message, the power of the presence of a lifeguard, the presence of someone whose job it is to guard my life. And that's what Paul's saying here. 
Paul's saying, I'm going to Jerusalem because I want to go submit myself. I, I, I want to go make sure and, and ask the people who are in leadership, who are, who are guarding my soul, I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I need a lifeguard. And if the apostle Paul needed a lifeguard, come on. I need a lifeguard. You need a lifeguard. We need somebody who guards our life. And I wonder, I'm just asking you that question right now. I wonder, do you have somebody? Would you say, you know what? Spiritually speaking, I have someone who guards my soul. Guards my soul. This is actually the way the Bible describes living as a Christian in this world. I want to read it to you from Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. Some people think Paul, but we don't know. But just a few verses, in verse seven, Paul said it this way. He says, remember your leaders. We could say lifeguards. He says, remember your lifeguards, your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow their example of faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look at verse nine. He says, so don't be attracted by strange new ideas, that undercurrent that's pulling you away. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, same debate. And then skip down to verse 17, he says this. He says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Did you know that? Did you know that your pastors and your leaders will one day stand before God and will have to give an account for the way that they watched after and looked after your soul? The Bible doesn't use this language, but in essence, what they're talking about is they're talking about a lifeguard. That the, that the Bible teaches that God has called and positioned someone to watch after your souls. And the reason that you need someone to guard your life is because we are all tempted to believe and be attracted by strange new ideas. The undercurrent of individualism and the undercurrent of pleasure and the undercurrent of temptation. You need a lifeguard. You need a lifeguard. And this is what's happening to the Galatians. Paul is saying the undercurrent is taking you and you're getting pulled in. But Hebrews uses this word we don't like. I don't know, maybe if you caught it, maybe when I said it, you had an allergic reaction, but it's the word obey. Ugh, hate that word. I got four kids and it's a curse word in our house for them. Obey your spiritual leaders. In other words, Hebrews says, listen to the lifeguard. So the question is not, has God put someone in your life to watch over your soul? The question is, are you willing to let someone look after your soul? And I have to admit, I, I'm not great at this. I, I have to admit that I'm not great at this. And I'm going to tell you a story and you're going to judge me in my parenting, but that's okay. I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Recently, we uh, took our family to Pigeon Forge to an indoor water park with my brother and uh, so the kids got to play with their cousins. There was these four great water slides, but two of the water slides were bigger than the other ones. They were epic. I have a four-year-old son who is fearless and he's just strong and I mean, can beat up everyone else in the family, including myself. And, and so he was not scared of the big water slides at all. But in order to ride the big water slides, you had to be 48 inches tall. Now I know some of you have done this at certain parks, like your kid's not exactly tall enough, but if they get on their tippy toes, they're just tall enough. Zeke was like 10 inches short. I mean, we weren't even close, Okay. And he's like, I want to ride. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So I take him up, okay? Yeah, no, you're judging me. That's fine. So we get up there and there's a lifeguard, a great young lady there. And she sees me and my son there and she's looking and I'm like, oh boy, here we go. And so she's like, I'm going to need to measure him. And I'm like, you know what? Save it. Cause he's, he's like a foot short. So like, you don't even have to do that. Don't worry about it. So we have to turn around and we have to go back. But I noticed about 30 minutes later, there was a shift change in the lifeguards. 
I said, Zeke, let's go. So we go back up the steps. And this time it was a guy who was making $8 an hour. He didn't care. Okay. He was like, what? Just get in the boat. I don't care. Just get in the raft, whatever. So man, I put Zeke in there and we go and it was just like, yes. And we get done. We do it again. We do like five times. Then there was a shift change. The girl comes back. She sees us standing in line. She's looking. I'm like, I just wave and turn around. I just walk, <laughs> just walk off, you know. But then 30 minutes later, shift change, Zeke, let's go. And so 30 minutes at a time, we would ride down these slides. Everyone came back safe. You can relax. But isn't it true that we're tempted to live our Christian life that way a little bit? That we kind of want to find the lifeguards that will let us do what we want or tell us what we want to hear? Isn't that true? That we, we, it's like we already know what we want to do anyway, so we're just kind of looking for somebody who will say, ah, whatever, just go ahead. And all of us have to fight that urge, that popular trend of individualism, because for a Christian, we know God personally, but we follow him together. And I don't want to overstate this, and I know I've been beating this drum a lot, and I'm going to keep beating it because I just think it's so needed right now. But the Bible is filled with language that it's actually challenging for you to keep the faith. That it's actually challenging for you to live in this world and not throw in the towel. That it's challenging for you to, to, to keep believing the truth. And that getting to heaven by faith in Jesus is quite an accomplishment. Not that you accomplishment, but you understand what I'm saying. That like keeping the faith... And so, and so the Bible lays out all of the ways that, that God helps us keep the faith. First of all, we have Jesus who was resurrected. And the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of God. This is what the Bible says, true literal language here, that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and he intercedes on our behalf. That's good news. That Jesus is up there with God right now, just praying for me, praying for you. And then the Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit that is God in spirit form who is with us and he guides us and he teaches us and he reminds us of the truth. And so Jesus is praying for you right now. And then the Holy Spirit is walking with you. But then the Bible says that we have the church and we have church leaders. And so the Bible wants you, God wants you to keep the faith so bad. It wants to help you keep the faith so bad that you get Jesus praying for you, the Holy Spirit walking with you, and spiritual leaders who are looking out for you. That's how much God wants to help you keep the faith. But we have to be willing we have to be willing to let a lifeguard guard our life. And so what I want to do for just a few minutes we have left is I want to, based on these 10 verses, I want to give you three reasons why you need spiritual leaders. And can I be honest with you and tell you that like, this was a really hard message to type up because it's like, like I'm, I'm a spiritual leader and I'm talking about why you need spiritual leaders. Like, and I felt like I, I'm not... There's, I don't want you to kiss the ring. You know what I mean? Like I, this isn't like, I'm not mad because somebody got mad at me. And like, you know, I, this is not, I, I, it's like the dentist telling you you need to go to the dentist. Like they're not wrong just because they're a dentist. You know what I mean? Like, and so there is this part of me that's like, oh, the, the, the spiritual leaders telling the people they need spiritual leaders. But I, I just, but it's not just you. Like I need spiritual leaders. Don't ever follow a leader who's not following a leader. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm talking to myself here. And Paul gives us this example of why we follow leaders, why we have spiritual leaders, that we know God personally, but we follow him together 
I'm going to give you three of them. Number one, why do we need spiritual leaders? Number one, you need spiritual leaders. We need spiritual leaders to tell you the truth. We spent a whole month back in August talking about this in our Truest series, but it's so important that when two Christians disagree on what is true, how do we know who's right? That's what's happening here. Paul says, this is the truth. The false teachers say, this is the truth. This is so important. We got to figure out what is true. What do we do? Well, we, we look to Christian orthodoxy. Christianity is not just some like thing you do on Sunday morning when you go to church. You belong to something. So we look to Christian orthodoxy, the traditions and the beliefs of Jesus and the Bible and the church leaders. And that's what Paul is doing here. And they did this in the first generation of Christians because there, there was no Bible. I mean, there were letters and things that were going around, but they would have to bring the leaders together and to decide what is true and what is not. And Paul said in verse two, he said, we wanted to make sure we were in agreement. We wanted to make sure that I was teaching the truth and believing the truth. And this is a reminder to us that truth is not relative. And we can disagree on so many things, but on the non-negotiable gospel things, we cannot agree to disagree. If we disagree, somebody's going to have to go start another religion. Because this Christianity is based on something, a belief in something. So for Christians, we don't believe there's new truth. We can learn from existing truth. We can get new insights from truth. But Christians believe that truth has been established. Not preferences, not opinions about all of these things. I'm talking about the the absolute non-negotiables that Jesus is God. That Jesus came and lived a sinful life because we needed a savior because Adam and Eve and the sin that is in us when we are born and he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross and he resurrected and he's the only way to God and your faith has to be in Jesus to, to know God and he's the only way to eternal life. We cannot agree to disagree on that. And it's okay if you don't agree, you just don't believe what Christians believe. You want to play soccer, but use your hands. That's not soccer. You can create a new game, but it's not soccer. Christianity has been, since the beginning, the belief that Jesus is God and died because we needed a savior. And it's our faith in Jesus that gives us access to God. And there's no other way. And so Paul says, we got to make sure we're in agreement on the non-negotiables. And so Paul says, I want to make sure. And I wonder how often you think, and probably not because you got kids and you got a job and you're like, you know, Jason, you're a preacher. You're like, you're paid to think about these things. But no, I'm a Christian and you're a Christian. And I wonder how often we want to make sure that we're believing something that is true. How often we say, you know what? Am I sure that what I believe is true? And this is so counterintuitive and so countercultural because we live in a world where if, You know, if the coach doesn't play our kid, then we transfer schools. If the teacher doesn't think our kid's a prodigy, we get him out of the class. If our boss demands more of us, we quit and find a new job. You're not going to tell me I'm wrong. But for the Christian life, we don't, that's not what we get to do. For Christians, we say, I know God personally, but I follow him together. And so I belong to something and I believe something. That's what Paul was doing. And so the best way, 
The best way for you to make sure that you're believing the truth and not chasing after myths and things that pretend to be true, it's not meditation, it's not angelic visits, it's definitely not social media links, it's not a Bible falling off the bookshelf and opening up to a certain verse that you were needing confirmation on. It's being planted in a local church and submitting yourself to leaders whose job God has assigned to them to watch after your soul. And so a really challenging question that I've been challenging myself with, but I'm challenging you with today, is who gets to tell you you're wrong? I'm specifically talking about your spiritual Christian life. Who gets to tell you you're wrong? Who have you submitted yourself to or who have you asked to guard your soul that even if you think you're right, if the people that you trust say you're wrong, you're willing to step back and go, I, I, I follow the leader. And I just, we, I just know, like you're thinking about the abuses of power. I get it. And we live in a society and a culture where that sounds so foreign, but it is the Christian way. Jesus prays for us. The Holy Spirit walks with us and church and church leaders look after us. And so we need leaders to tell us the truth and plant ourselves in a local church with local leaders. But it's not all theology and doctrine. That's good news. The second reason that we need church leaders is to encourage Gifts, encourage the gifts that we have. That's what Paul said. Paul said that I went to them and yes, I was confirming like theology doctrine stuff, but they also recognized in me that I had the ability and the gift to preach to Gentiles and Peter really didn't. He had the gift and the ability to preach to Jews. And your gifts are probably not about preaching to different nationalities, but it, it, it's still the same point. That, that great leaders, great spiritual leaders also recognize things in you that you don't even recognize in yourself. That they call out the gifts in you. They provide encouragement. It's not just about telling you the truth. Maybe you've had leaders like that. It's like, no, 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 no. It's also about encouragement. And I, I begin to think about my life and every gift that I use in my life now was pulled out of me by a spiritual leader. Everyone. There was someone who handed me a laptop and said, see if you can figure out how this thing works. There was someone who put a guitar in my hand and was like, Lead worship next week. And I'm like, I don't know how to play the guitar. They're like, figure it out. And I figured out that Lord, I lift your name on high. It's the same as Sweet Home Alabama. So we had it. And we did that, you know. We did that song for like 40 weeks. But anyway, we were, we were learning new songs. Um, somebody who said, hey, have you, why don't you speak next week? I was like, oh, I've never spoken before. Well, let's try next week. Every, everything that God has used in my life, and yes, I'm a pastor, but it's the same is true for you. Like, like if you are connected and planted and submitting yourself to spiritual, that, that, that things come out of you that you never knew were in there. And it's amazing to me that the greatest athletes in the world still pay out of their pocket for trainers and coaches when they've already reached the top. But then we won't even like take like health advice from a, you know, Whatever. Anyway, my point is, is that they, the Holy Spirit really helped me right there to stop. We, um, we, we, like they, they desperately want to be coached. They desperately somebody, want somebody with an outside set of eyes to come in and to pull more out of them. And that's what happened to Paul. And can I ask you a question? Who else in your life is going to do that besides the church? 
Who else is encouraging and calling out the gifts inside of you? Church isn't trying to use you. We're not trying to use you. You need to use your gifts more than we need you to use your gifts. Because God has given them to you for a purpose. And so these leaders looked at Paul and they're like, man, do you realize how good you are at preaching to the Gentiles? Like not everybody's as good at that as you are. And maybe that's happened in your life before. People are like, do you realize how good you are at hosting people in your home? And you're like, really? Everybody doesn't do this? It's like, no, everybody's house doesn't smell like this. (laughs) (laughs) Do you realize how good you are at counseling people and comforting people? Do you realize how good you are at explaining things? Do you realize how good you are at praying for people? Do you realize how good you are, how people look up to you and trust you? And you're like, no. I I never really realized. It's because a leader, a spiritual leader, is calling and encouraging gifts out of you. Let me give you one more. I'm out of time. Not just tell the truth, not just encourage gifts, but number three is to give you direction. This is why you need spiritual leaders, to give you direction. These are not salvation issues. We've already talked about the truth. These are what Paul said was suggestions. They said that I was teaching and believing the truth. And they encouraged the gifts in me. But they also made a suggestion, like keep helping poor people. And we need spiritual leaders in our life for good advice and good counsel and good wisdom. Not salvation issues. These are suggestions. These are good advice. Hey, I don't know if you should maybe date that person because I don't think they're following Jesus. And I know you're following Jesus and I'm afraid they're going to pull you in a different direction. And maybe, maybe press pause on that for right now. I don't know if you should take that job because... You'd have to work on Sundays and, I mean, look, it doesn't make you not, a, you're not going to hell because you work on Sundays, but I've just seen a lot of people fall away when they move farther away from the church or they, they take the, that shift or I've just seen people and it like, it doesn't, it rarely ends up better than it started. I, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we should manage our money a little bit differently. Maybe we should handle that conflict a little bit differently. We have spiritual leaders in our life who say, you know what, this is just a suggestion. This isn't gospel. But if, if you're asking, I don't, I don't think you should handle it like that. And we need those voices in our life. Are they always right? No. Do they make mistakes? Yes. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. And I'll say it again. I mean, I'm putting a lot of disclaimers on it, but I'll just say it again. Like, I know if I was you, if I was sitting where you were sitting, that cynical side of me would kick in and say, well, what about the abuses of power? What about this? What about that? Even when it's done wrong, it's still the structure that God has given us. A fresh start and a new chance. And I hope that you haven't heard in anything that I've said today, some kind of self-aggrandizing building up of me. I hope you haven't heard that. But if I can be honest with you, I do have to tell you that the most painful part of being a pastor is watching people drift away, swearing that they don't need anyone's help. Watching people go under, swearing that they've never been closer to God. People being offended when you're trying to jump in and save them. People being offended when you're throwing a life vest and you think that, They think you're attacking them. The hardest part of being a spiritual leader is when someone who is is walking away from Christianity 
doesn't want to hear anything you have to say. And this is not the way that God created it to be. God created us to know him personally, but to follow him together. The apostle Paul kept having all these revelations from God. God's speaking to him. You read the book of Acts. He was having dreams about where to go the next day. I mean, Paul knew God personally. God was speaking to him personally. But you don't follow Jesus by yourself. You belong to a church. You follow a leader. You're part of the resistance. You join the rebels. And we believe something. And we belong to something. And we do something together. And Jesus prays for us and the Holy Spirit walks with us and a leader looks after us. It's what it means to be a Christian and belong to something. And I wanna end before I pray by just reading this to you. This, this was floating around on Instagram this week and usually that's not helpful, but this was really helpful. A, a pastor in um, Portland that we love, our staff loves, Darmark Cromer, written some amazing books. We're just big fans and... He posted this on his Instagram this week and it kind of went viral. People started sharing it. I thought it was just so good. I wanted to read it to you. He said, stay with your church, especially with your closest siblings in the family of God. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. Quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constraint of community for it is there we are set free. Give up your preferences for the sake of others. Enroll in the school of agape. When you fail a course, throw yourself upon God's mercy. Come back to the table, eat the bread, drink the wine. Enjoy the forgiving love of God. Repent, repent again and again. Risk vulnerability. We will get hurt and we will hurt and return and we will hurt in return. That's the part of facing grace. Our greatest wounds come from relationships, but so does our deepest joy. The risk is worth it. And so I, I, I just want to end challenging you. to assess your life and to assess whether or not you have a lifeguard. Is someone watching after your soul? Have you asked someone to watch after your soul? And listen, if there's something at our church that you disagree with or something that you say, you know what, I can't agree to disagree with you and I, you know, I'm out, man, that, that's gonna hurt. But you know what? As long as you'll go somewhere else and, and find a lifeguard and you'll submit yourself to a lifeguard, I'm for it. But don't just drift and drift, waiting on shift changes till you can do what you wanna do and follow the rules you wanna follow. Find a church, plant yourself in it. Find a leader, plant yourself with them and ask them. Maybe it's a growth group leader. Maybe it's someone who's a few steps ahead of you, you know, uh, timeline wise following Jesus. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a parent. But what if you said to them, you know what? I need you to be my lifeguard. Because I know that I'm tempted to get pulled away by the undercurrent of life. And I want you to speak up and look after my soul. Give someone permission to do that. It's how God created Christians to live together. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you for the example in Jesus that we have, that he submitted himself to you. He didn't have to do that. He was God, but he did. He submitted himself. And thank you, God, that Jesus right now is sitting with you, interceding, praying on my behalf. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit who is walking with me and guiding me and leading me to truth. And God, thank you for the spiritual leaders you put in my life to look after me. I'm stubborn. I'm opinionated. I'm easily susceptible and fickle. And God, I need the leaders you've placed in my life. And God, I pray you'd help me be a leader to the people that you've placed in my life to lead. Help me to follow a leader, but help me to be a leader. And God, I pray for every person in this room and every person watching online right now who is, who, who, who is, who is listening to these words and there's something inside of us. There's that individualism that's, that's wanting to fight back and push back and say, we don't need anybody. We don't, we don't need any help. God, I pray that we would recognize the way you've built us as a people and as a church and that we would know you so intimately and, and personally, but we would follow you together as Christians and as your church. Help us to follow a lifeguard. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.